0: Well, oh. here we are.
1: Here we are.
2: We've got big news. It's big week. You do. I do.
1: Oh, I thought Who you knows? said you have big news.
2: We all do. What? We're launching the book
0: club. The book
1: club. It's Make true. I'm
0: about the book club. Me too. Yeah. George, you've chosen.
2: Yeah. Tell us about the book you chose. Well, I haven't read it.
0: Well, why? You, fu-
2: you had good reasons for why you chose it.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, it, it it routine. I wanted to I wanted to do a non uh, a non white male author. I wanted to pick one that, that I hadn't yet read, um, but that I've been wanting to read, and I wanted to um, do something that 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 has just been on pretty much everyone who I respect as a kind of thought leader or business operator or whatever's list for for several years. It seems to have some degree of of durability to it. So, um, you know, I I will see, but I, I certainly, I think that we have to pass the hat um, uh, you know, from, from me to, to others picking it. I don't want to be the one who picks it, but, uh, but the first one is, is mindset, um, the new psychology of success. And, um, and I appreciate we put it up on the, on the Slack channel. And I I did intentionally put a link to those that are in the Slack group, um, to a non Amazon link, but I know Carly, you also put, um, a link uh, to in other independent bookstores, I think. Yes, right? and
1: then Dan yeah. actually provided a link where you can get the specific book, I did, which is what I was <laughs> intending to do. It was a <laughs> a, a half done task.
0: No, I, I'm I'm excited. A, I'm excited for the for um, that we're doing this. I think I think it's it's another just sort of um, you know hopefully benefit that 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 we can we can help build some community around, but a very selfish manner. I, I, as I've wanted to read the book, I need sometimes encouragement and accountability to do it. Um, and then quite honestly, I'm just, I'm hungry for improvement. I mean, I gotta say, I, I wake up today feeling like an abject failure of a, of a business person, manager, Leader entrepreneur whatever just want to just want to stop just like i'm gonna go I'm gonna go open my taco truck or w- not even open my own taco truck because I don't At this moment in time feel competent enough to like run it I'm just gonna go work at a taco truck for yeah. somebody like
2: you know. Do you find that certain things trigger that feeling?
0: Yeah My own my own brain my own my own inability to find the, find the nuance and, and I was thinking about it this morning. I mean, I had, it was a rough week and, and I had a particularly bad business day yesterday, one where I just, you know, but, and I was thinking like analogs for other things, like, you know, for me, running companies, being a manager, whatever is, that's, that's my, that's what I do that and being a teacher, you know, and, 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 and and hopefully being a good dad and being a good partner. And, and, but, um, and I, I, I certainly have had moments in the classroom where I was like, man, that was a bad class, you know, and, and let me, let me try to improve and get better. And certainly as a, as a, as a father, as a partner, whatever, I've, I, you know but i was trying to think um about like like musicians i mean you can have an off night right you can mm-hmm. you can you you are you can be i don't think john coltrane ever had an off night i imagine he did i imagine john coltrane had off nights you know or miles davis it's hard it's hard to imagine people at that level of mastery but everybody has an off night um an off day and I think what what frustrated to me is is, I mean, there are two things. One is is like it's okay to have off days, off nights, or whatever, but you have to you have to learn from it and not just keep repeating the thing. I mean, that's I I talk about being a good little Buddhist or whatever, and and, and Buddhism is is finding the root of suffering, you know, um, and and then trying to and. So the, the the repeating of things that you think you've gotten over. I mean, like as a guitar player, you hit clams, and if you do it enough times, you go, okay, well now let me sit down and figure out why I'm hitting that note so that I don't hit that note. And as managers, I I, I don't know. I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out why I hit hit the same clam that I do at times frustrating and this is the nuance of it and just being very very honest um you know i'm not a believer in in the the kind of um management by by fear management by um you know yelling and screaming i i'm i'm a big big adherent of kind of the jim collins style of of management which is you know get your ego out of the way um And I can't after however many years of doing this, I can't wrap my head around the fact that sometimes you can try to be at that that very calm, deliberate, you know, patient type of of manager, but then um, stuff doesn't get done unless and until you raise the voice or you, you call somebody out. And I don't like that. I don't like it as a value. I don't. It doesn't make me feel good as a human. Like I, I, do think that there are some people that get dopamine from conflict. I am not that person. I, I'm pretty conflict avoidant. I don't know that people would, who know me, would think that. But I, I, I don't. I don't like conflict. Um, but I have a job to do, you know. And so, not to be too opaque about it, but, but, but yeah, I kind of lost my shit a couple times this week in work situations and felt awful about it Um, and apologized, you know, and, but, but also the, 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 the negative reinforcement is the shit got done and that's what I'm wrestling with. And I see that with bosses and with managers a lot. And, and I, and I think it's, I don't know I'm looking and so it's a long answer to, to this book. I'm looking for more mindfulness I'm looking for to improve as as a manager because that's the state in the career that I'm in. You know, I mean I'm, I'm I am somebody that that's in a position where I'm managing people and I try to do it with love and empathy and everything and then sometimes the job doesn't get done <laughs> And I'm as you all know better than anyone. I'm not above losing my shit and sometimes that has an impact. and But it, it's then it reinforces the cycle of, well, if you want a job done, you have to do that white male scream and yell and create a toxic fear. And I, 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 I think it's bullshit. So I'm hoping this book will be one of the many things, in addition to my own soul searching, my therapy. Um, maybe I need an executive coach, you know, but um, in trying to get better because for me it's, I just want to get the job done. I'd prefer to get the job done in a supportive, calm, fun environment and when it tilts into that other other realm of not fun, not supportive, not calm, but gets results, it bothers me. I don't like it. I don't Do you want think it.
2: One of the reasons that you get results from doing that is cuz you you yell or be mad so rarely
1: Yeah, that it has a bigger impact because it feels so out of the ordinary. I don't, it's not just, I mean, I I can see that you're putting some white male guilt on it, but that's just a management style that transcends gender and race. It's not a pleasant one, of course, but it is. It's an effective one for some people as managers, and it's an effective one for some people as employees. But it's, it's not an effective one always across the board, that's for sure.
0: It doesn't but, scale. No. It, cr- it creates a culture of fear. It creates a culture where people then begin just feeding you things that they think will keep you from blowing up so they they just tell you the things that they want they think you want to hear so innovation goes out the window um a uh, uh, multifaceted diversity plurality of opinions goes out the window it, it's it is not an effective management style for the long term it can be effective in the short term i mean yeah anybody that's worked for uh, steve jobs and elon musk any of these people, and I know people who have worked for all of those people, they create cultures of fear, right? Everybody's afraid of Elon Musk, right, who works for him. Um, even though he will say, I, I, you know, he's written articles or been interviewed about not having a hierarchical structure for all the reasons that I'm talking about, that hierarchical structures necessarily create innovators' dilemma thinking where you just create this kind of, um you know ladder of of affirmation but as i say i know people who work for that guy and and it's his way or the highway you know so um and i'm not in any way you know i i could not be you know, i'm not comparing myself i'm just saying that that as you say carly that is a style it's not a healthy style it's not it's not um
2: huge Gushing compliment from someone that we both work with (laughs) and respect and I thought maybe this shines a light on What you're really good at and what people respect. We were having some conversation where we weren't quite Getting to the right point and they decided to just call you quickly You spoke with them for about three minutes and said very succinctly. Here's what's going on. Here's the right next steps This is why this is happening. This is what should be happening like three minutes or less and then hung up and the person was just like oh I get it now this is why George is so good because you can just call him he breaks down he, like you're in a fog he breaks through it and all of a sudden the next steps are clear and that was I had never seen I've seen people gush about you because people like you but I've never seen this person just <laughs> go off about this is this is why we have George this is why he's there because
0: you're you're the you're the Call a friend. What is that? I want to be a millionaire. Call a friend. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. And and yeah, I need. I sort of do need to hear that. Not for my ego, just because. Uh, but um, again, it's it it is. Going back to the musician analogy, I've been I've been managing people in one capacity or another since I was like nineteen years old, and and I teach it, and I think about it, and I don't. I want I want to be helpful. I do feel confident that that I'm not. I'm not driven by ego. i i I do know that I'm solutions oriented, and I do know that that my my biggest my biggest goal as a as a business person and as a teacher is to set up my students and those people with whom I work for success. that's that's always what guides me. That's what I mean about purpose, not product, and that purpose has to be bigger than yourself. i i I, I sleep very well at night knowing that, that my moves, that my attempts, that my approaches are never to like build me up. It's it's just not. Um, and and so when I when I inadvertently feel like I do the opposite of that, it is just like playing the worst clam on the planet. And I don't know. But thanks for saying that. So anyway, it, it's all along oh, I don't know. But, but the, I'm looking forward to the book. I'm looking forward to some new inputs. You know, I think that that's the thing. I need some new inputs because I don't, I don't know who the call a friend is for me right now. I don't know who to talk to to be like, look, I'm really struggling with this tension of trying to be a good, supportive, calm, create a culture in which people can share ideas, do so effectively and also get the job done without it having to get into this fraught thing. Sounds like too much accountability and not enough encouragement. Yeah, pretty much zero encouragement. Yeah. I mean, and then and I think we all do this, or certainly I do, I mean, for me at least, and I've said this forever, like whenever some whenever I fucked up with something, like there's nothing anybody can say to me that will make me feel worse about myself than I've already made myself feel so it's like it's not Like okay, you know, I mean I, I will self-flagellate Way more than than any any external person. No, nobody can make me feel worse about myself than I already feel about myself. So um, So yeah trying to find somebody to resonate with that says yeah, dude, I've been there and and Here's how I navigate it. And I think this goes to our perpetual culture of toxic white male masculinity. I literally don't know who to call to talk this through because most, if not all, of the people that, that I would talk to, and this is bad on me, I, I don't, they have the same perspective that I have. I don't know. I'm, I'm like racking my brain right now as we speak. Who can I call that would have a different, perspective that that has also been that has similar experiences than i
1: yeah that was one thing that um really struck me in that book white fragility is about kind of diversifying the group of people like and and making it a really active thing to create and foster relationships with people outside of what you're used to in your own bubble and like to break out of that echo chamber. But I do recognize that that's a really tricky thing to do. So in your case, specifically, George, how I mean, reading books, of course, is an easy resource, you can just read a book, get different perspectives, you can engage with people who have read that book or even the author online in whatever way. But are you thinking of other ways that you could actually maybe expand the people that you could call and how?
0: Well, but that's, I am thinking that I need to do that. The how part is the tricky part. Tricky. right? And yeah. Yeah, and-
1: Particularly in, well, maybe not. Maybe it's easier in a time like COVID because everyone is looking for different types of connection, but I feel like maybe there would be some limitations put on just because people are, I feel like a lot of people are at capacity right now too.
0: But. One of the reasons that I I picked or wanted to pick this book and, and I, I, I'm so embarrassed that I can never remember this guy's name. So actually, I'm going Carol. To Carol Dweck. No, not oh, her. Sure. No, no, not not her. Is it That's the author of the book. But um, no, the one person who I would pay a lot of money to talk to and and get guidance from, um, and I am I'm googling uh, is is Satya Nadella. Right, so he's he's the Microsoft CEO, and he took mm. over after Bomber, and I think Bomber epitomizes that white male toxic fear. All you have to do is Google videos of Steve Bomber, <laughs> and, and I mean he's he's a cliche, and a he, sweaty
1: and he, angry monster. <laughs>
0: yeah, that just fear and culture. I use him a lot in my teaching when I'm when I'm talking about innovators dilemma. Um, there's video of bomber in 2007 being asked about the iPhone which had just launched at that point and of course had zero percent market share and Steve bomber laughs like he just like you know oh, oh this will never work customers want a keyboard you know this is a toy and um, you know and that that'll tell you everything you say and and, and Mono- Microsoft essentially had a had a you know almost a monopoly really I mean the antitrust they, by, courts ruled that they did um and he about ran that company with the monopoly into the ground and, and then uh, nadella comes in and he's completely changed the culture and and he's indian um you know he's and and he recommends this book too right it's it's on his list it's also on bill gates's list you know again so there are examples of leaders out there who appear to be able to lead without that kind of fear intimidation cultures of toxicity um and i'm looking for more more mentors in that i, I i'd love a mentor you know um i think we always need mentors and teachers and teachers show up i mean they say that teachers show up when you need them you both have been huge teachers to me you know and my students are teachers to me and and um it's one of the reasons I keep teaching is because I learn so much from more from my students than I think they do from myself, and some of that is is just I've changed as a teacher for the better. I, I think Dan, I mean, when when you were in my classes, I think I was much more um, much more excitable in the sense of you know I I I try not try I would lose my shit faster, and and I've really tried to change that. Uh, still happens. But to your point, I think when it does happen now, it really has that impact because it's so rare. You know, most of my teaching now is very much done with, with gentleness and and kind of love. And I need to get better at that in my business as well. So this is the the George therapy session so far.
1: (laughs) Can I just say a couple extra words about the book club itself While while we are talking about this? I think it's important that, um, the book club will have a variety of books, and we will each take turns choosing one. And this is, I think, a really great first choice for all of us. I am I think it's good that we're all going to be choosing one because there will be a lot of, in your case, George, right now, there's a very specific personal reason why you would like to explore this book. And that means that Dan and I probably will get will, – we'll get something very different out of it because you're going into it with a certain expectation. But I think as we each make the choices and I think I'm happy that you made the first choice because I think the first book in this situation, it's tricky to then lead it and kind of, you know, be the guinea pig and make the first choice. I think it's a really good first choice. I'm excited about the book club being an ongoing thing and and just acting as an additional resource for all of us and anyone who joins us to get some different perspectives, help them in their own work, learn some stuff. I I think, um, I have some ideas of, of books that I would like to lead and I think it will be very different. You know, it'll be of course similar, but I think it's going to be a really cool extension of what we're already doing.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And Dan and I had an office hour yesterday, um, with a guy and, and, um, I think another, I love how this has kind of taken shape. I mean, this is somebody that was not one of my students. He just found us and and, and he has he's working on a, on a business, uh, Bilal, I think his name is. And um, it, it, it it caused me, and Dan, I'm interested in your thoughts, like people really need some 101 type foundational things. And, and yeah. I was thinking one of the things that I want to put out there, you, you both know, I think, or I know, Dan, at least you do, that, that, that that matrix that I do the high touch low touch you know like that seems to be something that that helps people when they're just trying cuz you could hear it with this guy on the office hours as he was trying to articulate his idea he was realizing to himself that there were problems with it and that's okay right there but 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 and I've said this often while it's in your head it seems flawless you know and then when you try to articulate it to someone it's just like okay whoa and so giving people some kind of structures and frameworks and i do this with clients obviously but um but i want to i want to start and i think i'm going to direct some of my writing towards this um start creating those like like you have an idea run it through this filter you know and it doesn't mean that it's the only filter but but i see the same pattern of of progressions And, and and again like right now in my business life i'm in trough of despair land i know that Right. I know that. And so that's a, that's another kind of heuristic that I can go back to and go, okay, George, when you get into trough of despair land, recalibrate with your purpose, go back to your purpose. Why are you doing this stuff? Somehow along the way you've lost, lost that purpose, recalibrate back to it and I'll be fine. You know, but those types of things, because they are recursive and, and Mm -hmm. there's no reason why people need to reinvent the wheel every time.
1: There's huge value in that. I think even from the most the smallest example of it, when I write anything, I, whether it's an email or an article, this may be a weird thing, maybe it's more of a tick than a helpful tip, but I read it out loud. Like you, sometimes you can't just keep things in your head. You read it out loud and you realize like, oh, that doesn't maybe sound right. Or there's a word missing or like it can help you formulate things. And whenever I've worked in an office environment, it's like something that I get maybe teased for sometimes because I'm constantly reading under my breath. If I'm, once I've written something to make sure, I mean, of course, having someone else to talk to is so much more valuable, but you need, if you keep everything internalized, you don't hear the flaws and as soon as you say it out loud even if it's to yourself under your breath you can be like okay actually this means this needs a little bit more detail this is kind of vague. i don't like the way this sounds and so it's uh i think it's a really beneficial thing from like the having an idea to executing to whatever whatever you may be working on to actually say things out loud
0: every article that i write before i publish it i read it out loud and, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it changes things. And uh, and Dan, again, I'm sorry, I keep talking, not giving you a chance. But um, I, like I think the most helpful thing we could do for that guy that gave us the office hours is send him the audio of that conversation and said, listen to yourself, mm-hmm. and and you tell tell us. I do that with students sometimes where they'll be talking through something and I'll be lost, and and I'll ask the other students in the class, can anybody else explain what? so-and-so is saying and most of the time the rest of the students are like and and that resonates with the students too because it's one thing for old white dude to be like i don't know what you're talking about with your idea but when their peers are also like dude that doesn't make any sense then then they have to recalibrate well i
2: love the idea of the business 101 here's the foundational knowledge you need to figure out for artists and entrepreneurs you know whether you've got a solid model and that sounds like a really great free course to me (laughs) i think
0: it can look i mean i think that 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 one little matrix and i have to figure out i mean this is standing on the shoulders of giants i'm pretty sure that i cooked that up but <laughs> but i can't be 100% sure you know and 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 when we and i'd love and again this is what the internet's good for like i'll, I'll we'll put it out there and i'll say look cuz i know intent, you know we borrow things and we build on top of others but even that, that 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 quad those four that matrix once you get that in your head once you just realize oh i need to do a business that's somewhere between high and low touch and high and low margin like that's helpful because so many people inadvertently come up with businesses that are high touch, low margin, and then they wonder why they go out of business. Yeah. Well, and,
2: and I think and I, I clearly have a bias of wanting to put together a really useful course. Um, cause I, I love the format and I take so many of them, but the, that matrix is amazing, but it's also, it works really well in context of all the other business one-on-one topics yeah. you do. Right. And so it's, while it's helpful by itself, putting that in in kind of the right place as you know here's how you understand like basic um, revenue and profitability and well Mm -hmm. what that means basic accounting and that promoter score and customer journey this all works really well together people need to understand all of this Um, this is kind of a, a tangent but this we had a conversation last week about people need to have a foundational knowledge for business and marketing it made me think about what are the areas that I don't consider myself an expert in, but I rely on a lot that I don't have a foundational um, understanding of. Uh, and then two of those that stuck out to me were um, one is, is psychology and yeah. just understanding relationships between people. And we, especially on zoom, I feel like the more I'm having these zoom conversations with different people and even not getting a message across or the, the dynamic not being ideal. It's, it's one thing to be frustrated and say, I just don't understand how to get this person to understand where I'm coming from, but to understand maybe on a deeper level, you know, why, why is there any type of roadblock? Um, I I have no concept of it. And
0: The, the higher you go in marketing in terms of, of, of schooling or training or thought, the more you realize that it really is psychology i mean people people in marketing if they don't understand maslow's hierarchy of needs you can't call yourself a marketer right mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't understand basic microeconomic incentives and the, you can't call yourself a marketer if if you don't understand i mean that's why i use heuristics like like the mirror of desire the mirror of desire is a shorthand for me to try to explain Maslow's hierarchy of needs without having to say the phrase Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you will quickly lose people if you say here I'm going to explain Maslow's hierarchy of needs um the the you know I I will use the little red riding hood um story as a way to to help people understand Joseph Campbell archetypes hero's journey Carl Jung all of those things because I know as a teacher and a business person, the chances of me convincing somebody to read Joseph Campbell or Carl Jung so that they can understand that, that people all go through these same journeys and it does apply to marketing is zero. So instead I say, let me explain to you what Little Red Riding Hood means, right? And, and, and then, or Star Wars or you know, any number of these things, Harry Potter, and it's really interesting mm-hmm. with Harry Potter. I've used Harry Potter for a long time, and and I don't want to give the punchline, but uh, J.K. Rowling's recent kind of transphobic remarks only only prove to me that my my sort of exegesis on Harry Potter is correct. Like uh, again, I mean, I could do the whole thing, but you know, I, I take students and occasionally customers who've read it through Harry Potter, and it in, it ends in this way that sort of blows their mind, and people kind of doubt me and then all JK Rowling has done over these past months is, is affirm exactly what I've been saying you know so yeah. I'll, I'll use whatever metaphor that I can to get people to understand these psychological things yeah. the challenge with psychology is that it can be daunting it can be like where do you start you know like you know
2: yeah but. I guess and the way I was looking it was more kind of one-to-one psychology and, and there's a few interesting concepts I've come across uh, that it just it makes you look at conversations in a different way. Uh, one that sticks out is the, uh, the it's, it's a matrix of I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're not okay. I'm not okay, you're okay. I'm not okay, you're not okay. And, and how that changes the way a conversation is approached, um, and how people might view each other. And and the idea is is basically, you know, as a kid, because everyone is bigger than you. You think I'm not okay? You're okay, right? Because you're you're growing either at this level. As as you get older, you might you're in positions where you feel like I'm okay or I'm right. You're not okay, which has the dynamic of narcissism or arrogance. Um, I'm okay. I'm okay puts two people on equal footing, and sometimes it's you need to kind of manufacture that environment where both people feel okay. Or this, I'm not okay. I'm not okay, which is if we were all kind of complaining about our lives together. Right. And so, and how changing those dynamics um, changes the outcome of conversations. It's these very small, just things I'd never thought about, but that can be applied to every conversation you have and how just to improve interactions with people.
0: It, it's empathy, you know, yeah. and, and that's an overused word these days. Um, since 2000, 2000- five i've been i've been teaching a book called um good to great and one of the uh one of the chapters is is known as the stockdale paradox and um stockdale was a prisoner of war and um he he survived and and the lessons that collins talks about is from that is is you have to confront the brutal truth but never lose faith and and what he means by that is you 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 can become delusional. Like there there are prisoners of war who become, as a way of survival or coping, they just, they lose their mind, right? Because it's a situation so terrible. So you have to kind of confront the truth, but then also believe that you can power through. So in my my teaching, I I will make, and it's one of the few times I do it, but I make all the students um, read out loud a time in which they confronted the brutal truth, but didn't lose faith. There's never a class in which people aren't crying openly, not about the things that, that they're saying, but in listening to their fellow classmates and what they've overcome. And the reason I do that in, is because I, I say at the end of that that class, which is always a really intense one, you see, you've sat next to these people for X number of semesters. Maybe you know their names, maybe you don't. You, you are assuming that, that they've just had this kind of life or whatever that's easier than yours because that's what people do. And then you hear about these things that people have overcome and you view them in a different way and it makes you more compassionate about what they might be going through on any given day. David Foster Wallace, he gave a, a beautiful, beautiful commencement speech before he killed himself um, um, about our, our, our defaults. Right? Like, like, what is it? You know, we have to change our defaults. My, my, I have a lot of bad defaults, but, but if you recognize that, you know, and he uses the, the analogy of like somebody's being a nuisance in a grocery line or something, and he's like, you know, you don't know what that person's going through and, and you should cut them some slack. And so that empathy that I'm okay, you're okay, that you're talking about, um, or I'm okay, you're not okay. First, I shouldn't assume that I'm the cause of your not-okayness, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a sort of weird solipsistic narcissism. And, and I see that a lot where people are like, oh, George, what's the matter? And I'm like, no, no, it's good. And they immediately assume that it's it's them that's doing it. And it, it frequently has nothing to do with them. And then that's bad on me. Then I have to, like, step up my game and be like, George, you may be worried about your kids or whatever, you need to focus and be in the moment here because you're sending off this vibe and those people are taking it personally that they're upsetting you. And that will change the room. That'll, yeah. change, you know, it's, it's amazing, particularly on zoom calls. It's amazing how quickly you can, you can bring an entire room down just by the visage of your face, you know? And it's why I try to start our zoom meetings, like with, with clients or whatever, with like, and you can change it that way too you know you can you can diffuse the tension yeah but i like that i'm okay you're okay sorry yeah well uh
2: recently i guess always a part of what i do every day is is auditing um whether that's Mm -hmm. someone's marketing strategy or, or whatever um and the kind of the kind of default position of an audit as as me the person that is doing it is I'm okay, I have this knowledge. You're asking me to do an audit because something is probably wrong. Hence, so you're not okay. So the default is I'm okay, you're not okay. How do you change an audit review to be an I'm okay, you're okay, It's mm-hmm. so it's rather than saying, this is everything that is wrong, it's this is everything that's good and this is how you can improve. And it's, it's rather than by that's right. changing what's wrong, it's here's your opportunity, here's your potential for improvement uh, and that, I mean just that small change. I mean how how much that can change the dynamic of a conversation and get someone to respond positively to what you're saying.
0: It goes to solutions oriented thinking. And that's what yeah. I try to do. Like it it it's it's like, okay, yes, there is a problem here. Let's confront that. Now let's think about how we can how we can kind of get there. Um I I again I'll stop self flagellating, but where I failed yesterday was I was dealing with two people who were not okay. And and rather than me going, okay, let's figure out the not okay thing, I I went to the not okay place too. And then you had three people who were not okay, <laughs> and it just got bad. And 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 that's, you know, some of some of good management is being able to pause and step back and be like okay look and and i and in my defense like before everything blew up i talked to somebody i was like well what do you think is going to happen if we approach it this way like what's the outcome if if we come at this person in this particular way to what end like i say that a lot to people i say you know I'm, i'm because i'm always looking for that that solution because we do have that lizard brain thing of like no, I just need to vent I need to and and, and mm-hmm. I get that. but but to what end and as, as managers are our, our business people, our end always has to be for the stakeholders, right And that's where the ego has to go. So sure, you can prove that somebody fucked up or was wrong or that you were right or whatever. but if that doesn't if that doesn't affect, the overall value of the stakeholder, then it's just ego. Then you're just showing somebody that they were wrong and you're not doing your job. And so, yeah, I think backing up and being like, what, where does this end? Mm -hmm. And and if it just gets to that punitive thing, well, I'm going to make somebody feel shitty. No, not interested. Well, and and what, I I need to find the right
2: source kind of reference text to, properly talk about this type of I'm okay, you're okay thing. But my, my understanding of it is it's not, it's from the perspective of you, right? So while I could have a, I'm okay, you're not okay, the other person the you could have a, I'm okay, you're not okay. So in the situation you just talked about George, where it's started out as a, I'm okay, you're not okay, you're not okay. The other people might have felt differently, right? One person might have felt. I'm okay, you're not okay, you're not okay. So it's it's not a um I think there's really a consensus on that dynamic. And so it's it's on I think it's on whoever's aware enough to really set that type of yeah, dynamic. Right. I'm okay. I'm, right. I'm okay. You're that's okay. Right. You're okay.
0: That's right. And 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 the person who has that onus in many situations is supposed to be me. Is supposed to step back and go guys. Come on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and be that be that voice of calm in the storm, be the mountain in the hurricane or whatever, didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not and look, this is not easy because it, it's you talk about psychology. you're dealing with entrepreneurs, they're by nature not the most rational people in the world, right? You're dealing with artists. They are 100%. I mean, I've always said that artists, and I consider myself one, are driven by a very strange mix of massive ego and massive insecurity. So you're typically dealing with, with deeply damaged, challenged people, and oftentimes people with all sorts of behavioral issues that, that are some of the things that make them great artists or great entrepreneurs. I mean, I always say your kryptonite is also your superpower but it's not like i mean economists are fond of saying you know ceteris or ceteris paribus where all things being equal that, that's great in a laboratory but <laughs> it's it, it things are never equal there's always things on the margin and and that's why management marketing is psychology most of the time mm-hmm. but we're untrained i mean and that's why i've i've studied it i mean i've i've tried you know i've tried to actually understand it and understand human nature and incentives and get at it what have you all been working on this week?
2: Well, I was looking at Carly to start. But
1: I can't tell who you're to. looking at. That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, I have been working on a continuation of the work that I talked about last week. I have not got the interview with Cindy Gallup up yet, but I did more work on it and I have been going back to, Still, because as I mentioned last week, it's obviously a time consuming task to go back and listen to like 18 hours worth of audio to pull out story ideas and to think of the re promotional aspect of our content. Um, I, one thing that I will say I do feel, for whatever reason, whether it's new tactics or just a shift. I've been feeling way more productive lately. Like like a couple of weeks ago we spent most of the podcast talking about productivity tools and tips because I was just really struggling and I've had a couple two really productive weeks back to back now, which has felt really good.
2: What triggered now, that or, or what I don't
1: know. I mean I, I was really looking and talking about ways to improve it, so it was super top of mind, mm-hmm. and I think I was aware of it every day. Okay, what can I do today to make today better than yesterday or if I maybe started off? I For me, I work really well in the mornings. That's when I um, work my do my best work. And so, you know, after my first break, early afternoon when I start hitting that wall. Okay. Whether it's trying to time block some stuff or just walking away and trying to like get a bit of exercise in or just kind of that context switching that we also talked about. Okay. Well now I just have to put myself back in here. Um, and yeah, I, I really do think that it's just because just has been so top of mind that it's something that I'm like actively thinking about. And so by putting myself in that Kind of state of mind while working. It seems to have, I don't know, it's almost kind of like a placebo effect. It's like I'm thinking about me being more productive, so I'll just be more productive as an outcome. But
0: it's a mindset. Yeah. It's not, it's not placebo at all. It's mindset.
1: Well, I just can't really think to any like particular tool or trick or hack that I use that changed it. But yeah, it's a mindset. You're right. It's, it is just that, that context switching and
0: stuff too. It sounds super. But I think the thing sorry, Sorry. go. I was
1: just gonna say the thing that I that I do think is I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, feeling like I was under delivering. And I one thing that I definitely have switched is like not everything is going to be done right away, but you're still working on things. And so like changing what I am also viewing my own productivity as, like the fact that I may not have something published doesn't mean that I haven't been doing a lot of good work. Whereas I was feeling really bad about not publishing stuff, but I also wasn't really working on stuff. So of course it was a bit um, deeper than that, but I've had two really productive weeks, even though I don't have necessarily like a, a bunch of you know, like bylines or blog posts or articles or whatever out there. um, I also just feel like I've been doing good work. And, but that happens to me. I have like dips where I feel like I have no ideas or no good ideas or that everything is kind of meh. And then I have not felt that way the last couple of weeks. So, but I don't have anything new to point to. It's a continuation of some of the work that I mentioned last week. So, we won't get into all of that again, but what about you guys? What have you been working on or writing this last week?
2: I've had kind of a smorgasbord I I would use a Smorgasbord of different stuff in the works, but kind of with you nothing that is done. So I spent a lot of hours uh, Re-familiarizing myself with uh, developing in wordpress and a certain <laughs> theme that we use to uh, create the entrepreneurship and art site 2.0 um, which is going to feel so good when it's there and we I look at our Squarespace site and it's it does exactly the job that we wanted it to do uh-huh. which was get something up when we felt the, uh, the motivation to start this so it wasn't that's what Squarespace is great for it's not a blockage to getting stuff done it's a great way to get something done quickly and in kind of an acceptable manner but some stuff like this just the with a content heavy site, it becomes so unwieldy mm-hmm. so quickly. Um, and so, cause for, for a lot of times, some businesses can live on Squarespace forever because they're not putting up, you know, a, we're doing at least one to three pieces of content a week to be able to just find what someone is, if someone wanted to find when we talked about, um, like Carly's original, uh, persona article what a pain to like go back and go to the blog <laughs> post and just keep on hitting older 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 yeah um so that's been a big thing but um um i, th- I think it'll all work out uh, this morning i got to the office early um because I'm, I'm having a really hard time finding quiet places to work right now because um, yeah. i've got my living room in my one bedroom apartment that i share with my girlfriend uh, who is very good about being quiet when I ask her to, but then I get guilt about, can you please go hide in the bedroom for an hour yeah. while I try to do something? Um, and I've got the office, which is not quiet during the day. Um, so finding time to record anything, audio or video is, is nearly impossible, but I just recorded an audio version of the, um, artists media companies article. Um, cause I think. Great that's a good way to start putting some of that content out and it's I love that. you know that was a pretty it's an average length article and it comes out to roughly seven minutes long so easily mm-hmm. consumable and I, I think that's um
0: that's cool can you make that like a podcast
2: well yeah that's that's the thought it would great we either distribute it on this feed or maybe make a separate feed for, no, for no, articles no, no, i don't no know just feeds. put it on one place no more feeds
0: <laughs> I, I'll, I'll defer to you guys but it's it's it is like I don't know. I mean, just parsing. Too much. Through, yeah. I, uh, yeah, but I'll, it's I just like branding different things is so hard. But yeah. whatever you, you can
2: do. Uh, yeah, I, so I think the, the production of it is easy because now, like at least I'm editing audio for a few hours every week now doing this, doing a six minute piece compared to our <laughs> two hour mm-hmm. long podcast is like mm-hmm. nothing. And I can have a little bit more fun with this adding music or sound in places. Yeah. Um, so, and I think we should all be doing this. Um, especially, I especially, mean, George, you've got a good microphone. You've, you've done a few, uh, yes, I do Carly, the, the audio that you record when it's not over zoom, when it's just recording straight into your phone is good enough for us to make that work.
1: <laughs> it's what I strive to be good enough. <laughs> well, <laughs> um,
2: but I think that's, that's easy. And that's, that makes our, our podcast feed more exciting and, um, you know just more consumable content and then talk about easy content to put out on social media or turn into you know just shareable micro content Mm -hmm. so much easier from a six minute audio piece (laughs) than a one hour 45 what do you mean
1: (laughs) two hours
2: um what else and i'm I'm trying to um i've got the july music industry swipe file that nice been awesome. struggling to finish and get video of but after this i'm gonna uh, do the audio i think i have to kind of hack together how to do this it was easy my parents place when i had a whole house and but i'm moving in september to a new apartment so where i'll have an office actually in the apartment and a little bit more control of my environment exciting yeah i'm excited how about you george
0: I think the biggest accomplishment this past week was, um, I've been working, helping an entrepreneur with, um, uh, with, uh, his idea, um, started back in pre COVID because our first meeting was in a coffee shop. So that would have been back in February, March, I guess. And, um, through this time we've, uh, assembled a, a pitch deck, created a, a kind of video explainer video. Put together um, all the requisite financials, pro formas, etc., and we had our first pitch meeting with uh, um, with the family office. Um, and I don't know if if they will fund this guy's idea or not. I think there's a good degree of likelihood, but just just to to go from that that I've got this idea to building it out to something that that is presentable. Um, was was great i mean and, and that's one of those things where i think you have to kind of um you know you sort of iterate and then celebrate and 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 we'll learn from it we'll get feedback and um but it's it's nice to those things have a long arc it's a long arc from i got an idea to okay we're gonna now take this idea and go see if we can if we can um uh get get some backing for it and it's it's i mean people underestimate how challenging it is as, as we've been talking about to take those ideas from your head to a presentable fashion now this person he's you know he's done it before I've done it many times so we were able to do it do it relatively quickly um, and the, the cool thing about this particular project was like we both both knew our lanes really well like he he comes from banking and private equity and stuff and so i was like dude you you handle the pro forma like can i do a pro forma sure can he do it better than me a million times and he's like okay and you you talk about george the the kind of go to market thing and i was like done you know and so it's an important thing and i tell i tell early founders this all the time like you, 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 your values have to be essentially a circle in terms of a Venn diagram. Like if you think about your partner, your values have to just be really locked in. But your competencies should should be almost two distinct circles. If your If your competencies are the same, you don't need a partner. You're just mm-hmm. doing the same thing. And so it's important when you're thinking about partners in any capacity, but certainly in business, your values have to align, but your competencies need to be different. Um, and so this was a good example. Then We'll see where it goes. But it was, it was satisfying to actually take something from an idea in a coffee shop to putting it in front of uh, potential investors. So where, is there a way
2: you could frame that for, um, for artists, maybe in an article? Well, I mean, the exactly way that I always
0: it put it but... is like you don't need two drummers unless you're the Grateful <laughs> Dead, right? You know well, what I, mean? I, I wasn't
2: like... talking about the, the partnership, but more of the taking the idea to
0: a oh. actual business model. Um, yeah, it's the same. Substitute. I mean, it's 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 all the elements are the same. You have to you have to think about the the problem, the solution that that you're solving. Your 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 competitive advantage, your USP, your business model. Where's the revenue coming from? How is it going to sustain? How are you going to go to market? I mean, it's 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 hard. The challenge is, is that when you when you do it that way, it sounds very clinical mm-hmm. and very um, and very. I find that artists most artists immediately reject that type of type of business kind of approach. So I'm always looking for examples or different phrases to, it's what we were talking about earlier to get these points across in a way that are, are understandable and relatable because if you tell an artist, Oh, you need to do a pro forma like a, they're not going to know what that means. B they're not going to want to So there has to be other ways. And it comes down to psychology and incentives. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, and artists aren't going to change their product
0: the same way yeah, category. I've wrestled with that a lot, and, and 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 you're right. I mean, so, you know, if I'm talking to somebody about product market fit for a product, for a microphone, for a mouse pad or whatever, I will say, look, you need to listen to your customers, and you need to kind of, um, you know, don't ask them, but listen to them, and you have to filter out the nonsense. With artists, I, I, I product market fit is much more about stop, stop, don't ever change your product for some imaginary artist spend more time figuring out on how to find those people who will resonate with it
2: well understanding the market right
0: understanding your product and why it might resonate with people and not not assuming that because it's not resonating with people that it's because your song or your whatever is bad but rather those aren't the right receptors those people aren't aren't predisposed to care Mm -hmm. but there are people out there Trace Cosas. Let's do it. Okay. Who's first?
2: I'll go first. I don't think I've gone first in a while. And uh, it's not the most exciting Trace Cosas for me, but (laughs) these are some good ones. Um, The first one is Audio. A-U-D-I-I-O. Which is the music library that I use for all of the music that i use in this uh, i just don't think i've ever mentioned them before and i spend like an hour a week in they're going through the music um and they've while i they do have a relatively limited selection it's all really good quality and it's rarely does it sound like stock music i've used different stuff it's before good yeah yeah i most of it i, I need to Dig a little bit deeper into who these artists are that are putting their music there. Uh, but audio makes are really easy to license for whatever um, type of project you're working on. And I joined very early on when um, when they were launching and got a lifetime membership for cheap. So oh, I nice. don't really plan on smart. <laughs> using anything else for now. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's great, yeah. And it, it well, it's it's artists that are actually trying to. Artists, I guess, rather than people that are writing like commercial PowerPoint background music. Yeah, um,
0: I wonder if we could interview someone over there and talk to them. Because I mean, library music as a rule is just sort of, you know, probably appropriately condemned as just being bad. And, and mm-hmm. the music that you pick for this podcast, I I, I always like it. I was like, oh, that's cool.
2: Yeah, well, that's I should reach out.
0: I that's do an article forbes i mean i think it is it, it fits neatly in the kind of musicians making it work mm-hmm. <laughs> type of thing you know yeah and I, i'd love yep. to learn
2: more about their model and how they're you know, how they're paying the artists and how they choose yeah. it it's got to be based on the licenses created if it's a subscription based model rather because i'm not paying per song yeah, i no, use no,
0: no. Yeah. And, and it is something we should investigate just from a sort of Equity type of standpoint because a lot of these libraries are, are really bad actors in terms of, of copyright. So I'd love to know more, you know, mm-hmm. what their what their deals look like. Yeah,
2: uh, my second thing is Blinkist. It's an app. I know I'm Blinkist. with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This uh, I've known about it for a while, but it's about a week and a half ago. That I was like, I need to start using this, and it's because I've got this. Well, we talked about it this past week. I've got this backlog of books I've been meaning to read and to actually buy all of those books um and well it's not the buying it's the actually reading enough of each book to know whether it's good or not and whether i want mm-hmm. to continue reading it is such a burden to have these 15 minute summaries they've got audio summaries which i love um to listen to 15 minutes of the book i would spark notes 15 minute summary and decide is this worth going all the way in and spending however many hours reading uh i think that's really really great idea or if if i just i know i'm not going to find the time in the near future to read a book but i want to get the mm-hmm. you know the punchline. it's a good way to do it uh, and yeah i am going to be doing that for mindset as well but, ah. uh and last uh this movie i watched last night that i've been mm-hmm. meaning to watch for forever and finally did it jojo rabbit
1: oh yeah how was it
2: amazing hey it's sad, right? No, um, n- no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't okay. describe it as as sad. I mean, it's a very kind of. It's a satirical look on um, kind of the World War II Hitler yeah. Youth. It's I mean, the the overall plot is, it's this young boy like ten years old um, that is part of the Hitler Youth and he he idolizes Hitler and he has this he has Hitler as his imaginary friend. Uh, it's kind of the satirical mm-hmm. Hitler. And the director plays Hitler in this, uh, I can hmm. never pronounce it, Taika Waititi, um, who's amazing and has done a bunch of the, you know, he's done Marvel stuff and I think he's a pretty big deal at this point. I didn't realize that he played Hitler as either because he's, I don't know um, what his ethnicity, ethnicity, <laughs> ethnicity is. Um, <laughs> but he's not white and obviously Hitler is white. So (laughs) there's a lot of makeup, but he did Hmm. a great job um, of, of humorizing um, Hitler and and ended this kid who's a very devout Hitler youth kind of gets kicked out of the program, realizes his mom is actually harboring a um, uh, a Jewish person in this cupboard in their house or kind of secret room in their house and wrestles with that and gets to know, uh, this Jewish hideaway and uh it ends with the end of the war and it's a very there are definitely sad parts, but it's it's done with um this kind of easygoing humor. Um I mm. don't know. Sometimes you need a good laugh and especially sometimes well, you need to a good laugh at a serious subject. Just 100%. To, yeah,
0: a hundred percent. Strange uh, love, right? you know doctor strange look. Like, like there are those movies that, that can make these super serious things really funny in that satirical way for whatever reason jojo rabbit to me like I, I i don't do well with um um movies about people that have psychological problems like i can't watch a beautiful mind i can't watch you know some of those movies and for, for some reason i thought that, that that movie was about that but
2: yeah no, he's a he's a kid that has the same delirium that all kids have with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Imaginary friend. Yeah. Highly recommend it.
1: Awesome. Carly? I want to go next because I want to build off of that because the first thing that I was going to recommend this week, you were just talking about Blinkist, which I've actually never used. I get ads for them all the time. I know someone who works for them. Um, But it was also kind of spurred by just me trying to find other resources for books. And what you said is so true, Dan, like committing to buying and reading a book can just it's just too much sometimes. And that's why I also have like a long list of things, but there's also this other app, which George actually introduced me to called Libby and you can loan library books through it. And it's also just a totally free way. All you need is a library card. You download the app and then you're, you're linked to that specific library card. So whatever that specific library has. And I mean, this is like a larger more interesting area like i'm not really sure why the library has you know like four digital copies it's like
0: because they have but, to buy licenses
1: yeah but i don't know like why couldn't they buy more sometimes it feels like they, well, they have, could like, but their, it costs money yeah like,
0: i mean it's an artificial scarcity but De- like definitely yeah. because i looked into it because i had the same thought you did but it is library has to pay for x number of licenses that they can yeah. lend out in digital copies
2: wasn't there um some lawsuit about that early into covid where they're trying to make books available to anyone who wanted them and no scarcity and i think it was who? book publishers that sued uh, the I library system or something this. yeah i remember the but
0: details. this is the music business right this is this is people trying to trying to gate things that, that don't want to be gated but sorry carly go ahead
1: but it, it's a really great resource to. i mean like sometimes it's like yeah you will you're like 68th in line or like this loan will take 12 weeks to actually make it into onto your library shelf but it's another really great resource to um a support public libraries b not spend any money on ebooks and i think with ebooks too like i love physical books i love buying books collecting books with an ebook um it doesn't have that same kind of like hold it in your hand, put it on a shelf. And so to have like a Kindle or whatever filled with hundreds of books, there's something it's harder. I mean, of course there are ways to share eBooks and stuff, but um, anyway, so it's a nice way to just loan a book read a couple of pages put it back on the shelf or if, if you do want for anyone that wants to join the book club in particular let's say and they don't want to actually be spending money on buying books because they don't have the extra money Libby is a is an app I would recommend looking at and it was spurred by my um, just my own search of, of different publishers and and online bookstores but there's also I mean I, I love libraries I'm not going to be going into a library right now but libraries are such an important part of communities and if you can support them in any way I think you should so Libby Just, the app is my first one
0: they also do audiobooks you can which are yeah definitely yeah, typically they do really expensive they've got a really nice app I've emailed back and forth with the developers they will I asked for certain features they did it you know I mean wow. it's a, I, I love what they're doing
1: mm-hmm. um, and yeah you can link it right to your iPad or your Kindle or whatever it's really easy integration with whatever e-reader you're using The second thing for me this week is, um, I don't know if it's the most recent or just a recent episode of 99% Invisible, it's episode 405, Freedom House Ambulance Service, and it's actually the origin story of paramedicine, which I had no idea about. It's not something I've ever looked into, but to be honest, it's one of those things that it's just like a part of our society that just exists. And the interesting part is apparently a lot of paramedics also don't know this story. And it's a very timely story to be told. I didn't write down the year. I think it was in the 50s, though. And um, an orderly named John Moon in Pittsburgh was looking at the the kind of structure that he was seeing in his own just community and people when they needed help were very apprehensive to actually call the police. These were generally all black neighborhoods and it was a hard time for community members, people to call the police in times of maybe like having a heart attack or something, there's an accident or some kind of health issue when those same patrol cars were just driving through looking to pick up people to arrest, kind of that like, an asymmetry of information, a lack of trust and so a lot of people in the black community were um, suffering in ways they didn't need to suffer because the police if you had if you called if, because you were having a heart attack you would just get the police and so people weren't getting help. And so it was started by a group of black men to offer mm-hmm. um, like <clears throat> rides to the hospitals um, and and there was a woman as well that so there was one woman at the one hospital again I don't have all of the details written down but um she kind of took John Moon under her wing they were the first people to like teach civilians things like CPR and as a way to to add more help in between and the thing with the police officers, often was too like they talk about just kind of the dynamics between police and the kind of present day twist on this is there's obviously a lot of discussions about defunding the police and people think that that's a really radical idea but so much of what the police are paid to do would be better handled by different people particularly when it comes to mental health or physical health like a cop is not going to be the best person to help you if you're having a heart attack. Um, But also this kind of like mentality within the police force that when you go, you achieve whatever goal you are there for. And so that can be meant, or that can mean things like, if it requires brute force or whatever like you get your job done where it's often lacking maybe compassion or just the right kind of tools and these in this situation in pittsburgh they would get picked up and just dropped off at the hospital with no intervention there's also a really funny um, anecdote in the story where they like different things were tried and actually at one point um funeral homes were involved in it and so like can you imagine you call for medical help and a hearse comes to pick you up like it's not the most encouraging but so they there was like trial and error but it's a really fascinating story and I think it's a really topical one as well to kind of reevaluate who the job to be done which we talk about from a musician or music perspective all the time but Having the right people doing the right job. And it, it's just a really cool story. It's something that I'd never heard about. So um, I'll link to this specific episode. 99% Invisible is actually just generally a really great podcast, but this one was super interesting The, the Origin of Paramedicine.
0: Do they talk about the origin of the United States Police Force? They do not. Okay. Um, Sla- slavery.
1: Yeah, I, I know that, but that's not what this is about. It's about. I know, but it's
0: interesting to me just to see. I mean, what you said is exactly right. Of course, you're not you're not going to call if you're if you're a black person, you're not going to call the police that was institutionalized as a way to keep slavery going for help. So then a substitute had to emerge. I had no idea about the origin of paramedics, but it makes sense right mm-hmm. but you need to because yeah, it was
1: the, the people that would like terrorize the community one day that then you're supposed to trust when you're That's what you're I, mean. Most I vulnerable. mean. a lot of
0: people don't understand that the origin of the United States police force is is was to was came uh, direct outgrowth of slavery, right? And and so Yeah.
1: But I think it's also one of those really um, illustrative examples of of innovation happening just like it's not it's not going to be the police who think of paramedicine it's going to be the communities who are being underserved by the structure so it's just i I think it's really really topical what's happening in the world but it also is um it relates a lot to the things that we talk about in very different contexts. So it's a great episode. It's a really interesting story. And I think it's that kind of thinking that we are going to see a lot more of in these coming months, as we do talk about kind of restructuring institutions or how our societies work. Um, and then to end on a lighter note, Daniel also said like, it's just nice to have something funny or silly. When I was reading the show notes, for last episode, I was giggling a lot when George was giving his. And I giggled when he was talking about Mavis Staples. I was giggling when he was talking about Rolling Stones. And it's because it was making me think of John Mullaney's Kid Gorgeous at Radio City, just like a stand-up Netflix thing. Because um, and if you watch that, you'll see why I was giggling when George said salt and peppa the way he did, and just the Rolling Stones, these are parts. People that are referenced in the stand up. But I think it's so true. And to be honest, stand up comedy is something that I don't always gravitate to. But if you're looking for just like a feel good hour or whatever, it's, I think also comedians, like we were just talking about, um, kind of taking something really serious and making it funny. And I think like the SNL satire, like the political satire, was kind of cathartic for a lot of people and he also talks about obviously like the Trump administration but in a hilarious way and so for anyone that just wants to laugh I laughed out loud I've watched it twice now actually um and it's as funny the second time so I almost mentioned it as I was giggling with George's, but it was his third thing. He was the third to go in the three things. It was a long episode and I didn't want to derail it, but I had to make it one of my top three things this week. And you'll understand why I was just like giggling. And you even asked George, like, what's so funny?" And it's Like, oh, nothing, but I was just hearing him say these certain jokes. So that's my third thing for anyone that just needs to to laugh right now. It's hilarious.
0: We all do. A horse in a hospital. Yeah. (laughs) Hysterical. Um, You know, just on on your second thing, and this is a recursive theme innovation occurs at the margin and by the marginalized. I think, you know, that's that's my new purpose, not product. Okay. So, my three things. Um, First is it's not still going on, but Matt Sweeney, who I know a little bit, um, is a great, great guitar player, and, and he did this thing for a while called guitar moves. I don't know, Dan, if you've ever seen these, but he did one no. with Jay Mascus from Dinosaur Junior. <laughs> I know Jay too. And like it, it, okay, Dan, we, here here we can we can last week I, I used a word or and you're like this would be a good bedrock word or whatever that game was. Taciturn. Do we remember what Taciturn means?
1: Taciturn.
0: What mean? Wow
1: something serious
0: oh, quiet or yeah. quiet just doesn't talk so jay mascus is the definition of taciturn i've been in rooms with jay days just nothing right and even in matt you know in advance of the thing he's like ah, yeah i've known jay forever and uh i'm not sure how this is gonna go because sometimes jay won't talk and it, you know you gotta watch this but jay does talk a little bit and he's so great and he, he's one of my favorite guitar players like he's He's in that Robert Quine, um, kind of Neil Young, Kurt Kirkwood vein of of guitar players that just, just they, they play, technically they're not great, but so much heart and soul. And a couple of things that just stuck with me just randomly from the episode. Jay's a great, acknowledged great guitar player, and he's, he's just like, I just learned how to hand mute you know palm mute on the back mm-hmm. and, and match me like you've been playing guitar for 40 years how did he he's like, i don't know you know <laughs> and it's like and yet he's just this, like monster guitar player and hand muted on a guitar it's like you learned that kind of in day two and then he says at one point he's like um he says uh that he was he was asked to house it for Thurston Moore and kim gordon from sonic youth back in the day And when they were on tour and and he said they got mad at him because when they came back, they found all these empty tuna cans under the bed. And Jay said, yeah, at the time, all I didn't know what to do and I wasn't really socialized very well. So I just brought a bag of tuna and a big liter of of like Hawaiian punch and I just eat them and then just put the cans.
1: (laughs) That is so gross. (laughs) (laughs)
0: But you kind of have to see it with Jay, the way Jay talks about it. And then my very favorite thing was, he's like, well, for me, you know, like, I write songs and lyrics really is just an excuse to get to where I can solo because that's how I express myself, you know. And I love his voice. I think he's got an amazing singing voice. But he says... (laughs) he says he you know was playing some show and somebody came up he got off stage and somebody said man i really like your singing and jay's response is like why <laughs> you know? and i just think it's so and i'm the same way like i mean i my favorite parts in playing guitar is like I, i'll write some lyrics over but it's really just so i can get to that place where i can play guitar because that's how i express myself so much better really funny one more one more weird matt sweeney anecdote so um a million years ago, I was running this company called Day Trotter, and, um, and we were at a studio in L.A. It was Elliot Smith's studio, and we were recording session. Elliot was dead by this point, but um, and a couple of interesting things happened at, at that session. One was, at the time, I was still drinking soft drinks, um, and... I'm sitting there and I managed to knock over a Coke on like Elliot Smith's outboard stuff. And it was like, "Ah!" you know, and all this like gear and everything was fine. But like, I've rarely felt worse than in that moment. And then I think later that evening, in walks Matt Sweeney and Andrew W.K. And, And I don't know if Andrew W.K. means anything to anyone at this point. But for a while there in the early 2000s, he was pretty big. And, and there's a deep, dark, very, 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 very strange rabbit hole conspiracy weirdness around Andrew W.K. And I will say no more. But if you're looking for internet weird conspiracy things, look no further than Andrew W.K. But my recollection of it was Matt and Andrew walking in carrying um, like a 12-pack of Tallboy beer cans and just like walking in and handing them out and then andrew going to the piano and like if you know him he's like mr party guy or whatever and playing improvised piano music with matt playing improvised guitar and matt's a badass guitar player plays you know but it's up it's online like if you go to day trotter andrew wk you can listen to this weirdness but you have to listen to it in the context of going through the deep dive about andrew wk and, his, and it'll blow your mind um uh, so that's number one. Um, the second one, I, I want to do an entire episode, class, lecture, book. I don't even know where to begin on this. The Office podcast is is new. Um, there are only three episodes in. It's Kevin, Brian Baumgartner. Um, you know, the guy, the, the, the guy from the offices. Um, yeah, three or four hundo. That guy, you know, the guy, the counting Kevin. Does anybody know I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Yeah. And and so he he hosts. It. He doesn't really talk that way, by the way. Like he has a, a really nice talking voice. He doesn't talk like Kevin, but he tells the story. With, it's an oral history, and he gets everyone: Steve Carell, um, uh, Ben Silverman. He tells the whole story. It is a case study in innovation, and I took notes because I'm gonna get I'm gonna use it in my Innovators DNA class. Um, so just just give you some of my notes. So 2001, Ben Silverman, who was a young uh, music, young TV executive, is in England and he's on, you know, someone's couch and and he watches just randomly flipping through the channels and sees the British version of The Office. And it's like, this is like nothing I've ever seen. I, I have to do this. So he has this vision. He saw it. He saw right there. I need to make this an American version. 2001 American TV, there was nothing like The Office on at the time, right? Um, there was, you know, it was, the, the verite reality shows were popular in the UK, but not in the US. He manages to get in touch with with Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais, who who were the, the, the creators. Um, they were, and I thought this was super interesting culturally, like I do a lot of work with, with global companies, and the way US... Entrepreneurship mindset is so different from that of the rest of the world. This guy Ben Silverman was like, "Well, we're 100% going to do it." Ricky Merchant and 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 Stephen uh, sorry Stephen Gervais and 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 um, and, and uh, Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais were deeply skeptical and and just wouldn't allow themselves to get their hopes up. Like as as kind of British people, not to stereotype, do. they're like, "Yeah, that'll never happen." Whereas Americans are like, "We're 100% going to make this happen." Um, but Silverman's enthusiasm was just so infectious. He got them to buy into this. He he gets the rights. He takes it and shops it to HBO, all of the networks. Everyone passes on The Office, literally everyone. And the response was, well, if you're going to do a comedy, it needs to be like Friends or Baywatch. That's what the market wants. They want Friends Or Baywatch. And Baywatch is just friends in bathing suits. It's all they wanted. He finds one person who was at FX. When FX is the the, the network that did Sunny, they're kind of like a a startup in some ways. The guy loves it. He gets it. He's, I'm going to do it. Dude at FX gets promoted to run NBC and he brings it over. And this is where the vision starts to align. Now they need a showrunner. They go to Greg Daniels greg daniels is most known for doing um the simpsons snl king of the hill he gets it right um and he loves it he didn't even want to watch the the tapes and then he watched it and he just sort of binges on it so you've got this value alignment he realized that he's the right thing um greg daniels says this will never work but all I want to do was try to do this to nudge the direction of the main ship of comedy in a, d- a different direction, even if it fails. And I love that. And it made me think of Carly talking about nudging. He, he fully expected this will never work, but maybe I can just gently move the direction. Um, one of the things that, that resonated so deeply was they avoided Dunning-Kruger. And think about this from the context of what an American do would do versus what a British person would do. Um, Stephen Merchant, one of the creators, was wise enough to realize that many British adaptions for TV failed because the Brits thought they understood the U.S. market based on their experiences with the U.K., Um, and they would do our thing in, in America, but they didn't know enough about America. They didn't know enough about the subtleties or nuances of American culture, or they were so busy trying to replicate what worked in their own country, they didn't find anything fresh and new. So Stephen Merchant says, our biggest contribution was stepping back and trusting Greg Daniels. What, what, what America wants, what the white male says, right? You know, stepping back. We don't do that as, as, as white male Americans. We're like, I know. And it's classic kind of Dunning-Kruger. Um, and then the pilot was tested for, by, to other NBC executives on a net promoter score scale, one to 10. It came back. The very first pilot came back. Everyone on a scale of one to 10 ranked it a one or lower. Every one of them. Why? It, they wanted funny but also sexy. Americans associate documentaries with seriousness. They got to make five more episodes by some miracle. At that point, they did not believe that anyone would ever watch this, so they made it for themselves. They're like, "We're gonna do this for the joy and the love of it," um, and you know. So, and we all know what happened, but. It, it's in in the mirror of desire thing too. The casting director Alison Jones is kind of the star of the show. She cast unknowns. Her prior experiences were things like freaks and geeks. Phyllis, the character Phyllis, not an actor. She was Alison Jones's assistant, not an actor. Wow. And it, yeah. So um, Jenna Fisher, her job prior to being a receptionist, playing a receptionist, being a receptionist. So <laughs> just a- absolutely great. And then, um, it's, so it's a case study on innovation. It's really, really great, and, and it's just, it flies by. If, everyone likes The Office, and, and we all know what happened, but you talk about those origin stories of things that likely could never possibly work, and then seeing it work and what it takes to get it is, is, is crazy. And then my third thing is uh, Szechuan peppers, which I'm just addicted to. I've been making sauces with them. Um, it was the secret taste that I'd been chasing forever. Um, it, apparently, it's uh, the, the the flavor is m a l a mala, which means numb spiciness. And I grind it up on stuff. I'm completely addicted to it. It's I I've had it you know forever, but I've never known what that was. Like if you get really authentic Chinese Szechuan cooking, it's like wow, this is really good. What is it? It's the Szechuan peppercorns. And i just how do you prepare marvelous. it? What do you do? I've been making uh, chili oil. So, mm. like, I grind up uh, chilies, the, the Szechuan chilies, and then some garlic, some um, ginger, scallions, and then I just pour hot oil over them and let it sit. And then you can dump them on anything. It's completely amazing. Cool. Those are my three Do you have things.
2: a recipe we can put in the show notes? Sure. I'll write one up.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, have a great week, entrepreneurs. And, and I encourage everybody, the office hours are fun. They are good. We're going to get the book club going. Tell your friends about entrepreneurship and art. Uh, let's keep encouraging and keeping people accountable. I'll talk to you next week. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
1: The Entrepreneurship and Art Podcast is a GH Strategic Production hosted by me, Carly Sheridan, Dan Cervantes, and George Howard. For more information and show notes, visit our website at entrepreneurshipandart.com.